Thank you, Dave, for that prayer. Once again, thank you for joining us for worship this evening. If you are joining us via the live stream, we welcome you as well. Please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 15. Mark 15 will be uh, picking up, Lord willing, at verse 16 and reading through verse 32. Um, we've finally come in our walk through the Gospel of Mark to really the pinnacle of the Gospel, and that is the crucifixion. We've seen Jesus in recent uh, passages being placed on trial by the Sanhedrin. There he had faced their, their anger and je jealousy. He had been charged with the charge of blasphemy as the high priest directly asked Jesus if he was the Christ and he boldly proclaimed that he was, that he is indeed the Messiah. And there we tried to understand how it was not truly Jesus that was on trial, but the Sanhedrin in that moment, because Jesus said that he would come as their judge. We've seen Jesus standing before the cowardly Pontius Pilate, again supposedly on trial before this Roman ruler. And in that instance, Jesus is mostly silent and responds with very few words. But we see Pilate trying to appease the people and then giving Jesus over to the crowds to be crucified, first to be scourged and then to be crucified. We've seen the mocking of the soldiers, and we'll look at that briefly again, and the suffering of our Savior. We've seen Jesus in the garden. We've seen him deserted by his closest friends, betrayed by Judas, denied by Peter, even with an oath. And now we see Jesus headed to the cross. So let us go to God's word, but before we do, let us pray and ask his blessing upon the preaching of his word. Lord, we look to you. We thank you for your word, and we pray, O oh God, that you would grant us grace to understand it more fully, Lord, and to take it into our hearts and understand what it means for us and, and what it calls us to do. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you died. And Lord, in this awful, gory account of your crucifixion, we see the beauty of salvation shining through. So, Lord, I pray that your word would do its work in our hearts. And, Lord, we know that you are here and you have inspired your word. And so, Lord, would you work in and through it, we pray. And, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Mark chapter 15, beginning with verse 16. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisted together a crown of thorns, and they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. 
And the inscription of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews. And, and with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right hand, one on his right, and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Amen. And we praise God that he has spoken to us in his holy and inerrant word. There are two ways that I want us to think about this passage, one of which I've already spoken of, and that is that this passage and Christ's crucifixion is really the pinnacle of the gospel story. The Apostle Paul said that he decided to know nothing among his readers except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. To the Apostle Paul, the cross is the apex of the Christian story, of the gospel story. He said in 1 Corinthians 15, he said that he delivered to his readers that which was of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And in those opening verses there of 1 Corinthians 15, he lays out in very simple sentences what the gospel is about. And he starts with that, Christ crucified, died for our sins according to the scriptures. That was, to the Apostle Paul, the most important thing that he could stress to his readers. And we see it all throughout his epistles. Jesus said in Mark, and we've off-quoted it, the, Mark 10, 45, that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So as we look at this text, we can, in a, in a sense, see everything that we've looked at in Mark up to this point as coming to its culmination in this text. This is what Jesus came to do. I've told you again and again, Mark is all about who is Jesus, what did he come to do, and what does it mean to follow him? Here is Jesus accomplishing what he came to do. But I also want to see this in another way. Our catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, helps us understand the two states of Christ, as it has been called, and these are his humiliation and his exaltation. Now, maybe these are new terms to you, and you think of humiliation as being something that happens when you do something foolish or embarrassing, but that's not what the catechism is talking about. It's talking about what Christ came to do. He came, as we have read and, and repeated, he came to give his life. But question 27 says this, wherein did Christ's humiliation consist? And it gives us a list of things, of events, of things that happened in Christ's life. And it says this, his humiliation consisted in his being born, and that in a low condition, made under the law, undergoing the miseries of this life, the wrath of God, and the cursed death of the cross in being buried and continuing under the power of death for a time. And the next question goes on and talks about his exaltation, which involves his resurrection, his ascension, his heavenly reign, and his soon coming in judgment to judge the world. But I want us to see 
the cross as both the apex of the gospel and in a sense the bottom of Christ's work that he came to do. Because we see in, for us, the, these two things are not at odds. But because for us, the cross is the pinnacle. For us, the cross is the glorious good news. But for Jesus, it was the bottom. It was the lowest that he could go. It was the most shameful and humiliating thing that could ever happen to a person. Any individual for that matter. But for Jesus Christ, who bore the sins of all of his people, it was the lowest point that he could go. So we see that as, as kind of the bottom, if you see it on a curve, at the, at the bottom, his death and burial. So I want us to see that in, in, in two ways. But we have three points here to the sermon. The way of the cross, the man on the cross, and the mocking of the cross. The way to the cross, the man on the cross, and the mocking at the cross. Now Mark, as we have stated, is, is, is kind of brief in, in his explanation of the events of Christ's life. And, and from time to time we have, and we will this evening, go to other gospel accounts to see a little more full um, account of it. And it's interesting to me as we read the gospel of Mark that, that Mark doesn't give us a lot of details about the crucifixion itself. Now, we'll see in the next passage that Christ is on the cross and we'll think about his suffering there and his words there and what that means. And, and there's more to be said there. But here in our text this evening, it just says very bluntly, very briefly that he was crucified. But his first century readers would know this ordeal all too well. Jesus would have been placed at the center of a company of four Roman soldiers. The beam of the cross would perhaps weigh as much as 100 pounds and it was laid upon him. It was up to the one being crucified to carry that cross beam to the place of their crucifixion. And remember, of course, that Christ is weak from the loss of blood and the and the terrible experience of scourging that he has endured, his shoulders and back, as well as his sides, and, and much of his body is bruised and torn and lacerated and bleeding. And this crude cross piece is now placed upon his bruised and bleeding shoulders. And as Christ is stumbling along the route to the place of crucifixion, before him is a soldier carrying a placard with the inscription of his crime, King of the Jews. Jesus is likely falling under the weight of this because of his own weakness physically, because of the loss of blood. And so they compel this man, Simon of Cyrene, to carry the cross. And it, Mark simply tells us that, that he was a passerby, that he was there at the, at the right time, if you will. And he was coming in from the country. Some people think that he was a, 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 a proselyte Jew that had come to the Jewish faith and was there to celebrate the Passover. And it seems likely. It seems strange to us that, that Mark mentions the things that he does. He says that he's the father of Alexander and Rufus. We think about this and we think, well, if, if, you're go if you have a man that's stumbling, supposed to be carrying his cross... Who are you going to choose but a, a, a man that appears strong? So it's likely that, that he was a man in the prime of his life, and perhaps these sons of his were young at that time. 
And perhaps Mark mentions these sons because they were known to the first century Christian readers. Many commentators, and, and if you remember Pastor Greco, when he preached in Romans uh, 16, Paul there gives greetings to Rufus. And he says that Rufus is chosen in the Lord and also his mother, who had been a, like a mother to the apostle as well. And so many commentators think, and it seems very plausible, that, that these sons at the time of Mark's writing had become adults. And they were in the church. They were known. And, and it's interesting that this man became a believer. It's likely that he did because it mentions, if, if it is the same, that, that the Apostle Paul mentions not just Rufus, but his mother as well as being a faithful saint of the Lord. So we see this man, Simon, who helps Jesus. But also along the way, we see help that is refused. Verse 23 says that they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, and he did not take it. There are extra biblical writings that show that often there were respected women who would seek to relieve the suffering of those condemned to die. And they would, they would take wine and mix this myrrh with it and it, it became a, a, a painkiller, a narcotic even, some commentators call it. And it, it was used to alleviate the excruciating pain that they were about to face, many of them having already faced suffering already. But Jesus refused it. Here is our Lord Jesus facing the darkest hour of his life. And in that moment, he wanted nothing to dull his senses. He was there to accomplish the work that he had come to do. And he even remained clear enough to minister to the dying thief at his side. This is Jesus on the way to the cross. Secondly, let us consider the man on the cross. And again, Mark gives us few details about what has happened. And, and we should note that, that the cross itself was a subject of, of revulsion to Gentile and Jew alike. There, there are, are those that say that, that, that the Gentiles didn't even like to speak of it. And the Jews saw it as an accursed thing. And so Mark doesn't give us a lot of details. He simply says that Jesus was crucified it reminds us of Philippians, which talks about the Lord's humiliation. It says, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Again, that points to the lowest point in Christ's humiliation. It was as low as one could go in terms of shame and humiliation. It's also a gruesome place. It's an awful thing to be put upon the cross. In the verses that follow, we'll see more details about Christ upon the cross, but we need to think about what happens then as Simon carries that cross piece to the place of the crucifixion. Christ's arms were stretched from one end of the cross piece to the other. Nails were placed through his hands or wrists, and then the four soldiers that surrounded him would lift that cross piece up and put it on the upright. And then a single nail was placed through both of his feet, and there he hung. Others have detailed the immense pain that Jesus went through as he hung up on the cross. But we have to realize that Jesus is fully human. He suffered as a man. He suffered the pain that any of us would suffer in a death like that. 
Perhaps it was even intensified by, by his own soul's awareness of what he was doing, that, that God was turning his face away in that moment as Christ took upon himself the burden of our sins. C.S. Lewis helps us think about that moment when he writes, he creates the universe already foreseen, or should we say seen, there are no tenses in God, he says, seeing the buzzing cloud of flies about the cross, the flayed back pressed against the uneven stake, the nails driven through the medial nerves, the repeated suffocation as the body droops, the repeated torture of the back and arms as it is time after time for breath's sake hitched up. Lewis goes on and talks about how that Christ is, both, is the creator of both the parasites that infest him as well as the men who took advantage of him. What a thought that Christ the Creator created the circumstances in which he suffered for our sins. But Mark doesn't spend a lot of time on those things. He, he focuses on some other things, and we have to think about them. He focuses on the fact that Christ's garments were divided among the soldiers, he gives us a timeline of the crucifixion. He talks about the inscription of the charges. And he talks about those who hung beside Christ upon the cross. We see in verse 24, the soldiers crucified Jesus and cast lots for his garments. And this was in fulfillment of Psalm 22, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. In that passage, David is lamenting the the, his, those who were persecuting him. And Mark has, has woven Psalm 32 throughout various places in his gospel and helping us see that that is a psalm about the Messiah. And we see that David's writings are a foreshadowing of David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And while David suffered in a small way, his greater son suffered more than David or you or I or any man or woman ever has or will as he took upon himself the sins of his people. So here are the soldiers casting lots and dividing up the, what is, basically amounts to Christ's only possessions. And they're treating him as though he's already dead and taking what little is left of his own. He was stripped bare physically hanging upon the cross, naked or nearly so, as the soldiers callously take away what's left of his. And then we see the charge proclaimed against him. Verse 26 tells us that the inscription of that charge, it was, and other gospel writers tell us that it was placed upon the cross. It's likely that it was carried in front of him, first of all, and then John tells us that it was placed upon the cross. John gives us a little fuller account of this and says that, that the inscription read, Jesus of, Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Pilate, of course, placed it there and he placed it, he, he wrote it in multiple languages so it could be seen and read by all. And it's interesting that that, that part of the gospel was proclaimed in multiple languages so the world could know that Jesus is the king. And the Jews, of course, complained, and John tells us about this, how that they said, no, don't say he was the king of the Jews. Say, he said 
that he was the king of the Jews. He claimed to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate, of course, said, what I have written, I have written. And what Pilate wrote proclaims the, the truth about Jesus, that he is the king of kings and lord of lords. Finally, Mark tells us about the circumstances of Christ's death. And there, he tells us the robbers on each side. And it's interesting the way he phrases it, one on his right and one on his left. And that's kind of a, uh, maybe a little clunky way of saying one on either side of him. But we can't help but think back about James and John. What was it that they asked Jesus? They said, Lord, we want to ask you a question. Grant what we're going to ask you. That sounds like a trick question. And Jesus, of course, says, well, what is it that you want? And they said, well, grant that we can sit one hand one on your right hand and one on your left when you enter your glory. They wanted their shot at greatness, but here is Jesus about to enter the glory that came with the completion of his work, yet he is regarded as simply one of the common thieves of the day. Verse 28, which you probably don't have if you have an ESV Bible, it's missing in some uh, of the original manuscripts, but it's... it's uh, pointing back to um, Isaiah, verse 28 says, So the scripture was fulfilled that says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And that is included in the Gospel of Luke, and it's, of course, pointing back to the prophecy of Isaiah, speaking about our Lord Jesus Christ, that he was numbered with the transgressors. He was crucified as a common thief upon the cross. Finally, we want to see the mocking at the cross. We've considered the way to the cross, the man upon the cross, and then Mark spends several verses here speaking of the mocking at the cross. And it's interesting when we think about the words that they used and these charges that were brought against Jesus and the irony behind them and, and how that there is truth mixed in with the lies. There's three groups that Mark points to he says those who passed by, they mocked Jesus in one way, the chief priests and scribes did in another, and the robbers alongside him reviled him as well. We see that the, the passers-by said, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Remember, that was one of the charges that was brought against Jesus in his trial before the Sanhedrin. And they said, he said this. They, of course, misquoted him. Jesus was speaking about his own, his own death and his resurrection. That, that, um, and he was trying to, to teach his disciples about that. And, but even in that, they couldn't get two witnesses to agree. Even in that, their, 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 their story failed. It wouldn't hold up in that court. The chief priests, they had their own way of mocking him, but they were too proud or, or too self-conscious to make it public, and they kept it among themselves, and they said, he saved others, he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Do you hear the scorn in that? Do you hear the sarcasm, the condescension of, though, of these who think we finally got him? He wants us to believe his story. He needs to prove that he is really who he says that he is. 
we see the robbers reviling him as well. We think of our Lord Jesus, and the Old Testament points to this, and we see him fulfilling the roles of prophet, priest, and king, and really, he is mocked in all three of those roles. As a prophet, they shame him and they mock him about destroying the temple and rebuilding it in three days. As a priest, they say he saved others. Himself he cannot save. And as a king, they say, let him show his power and come down now from the cross. But the beautiful irony is in this is that the temple of his body was destroyed and then raised again so that he might build his church. He refused to save himself from the agony of the cross, choosing rather to drink the whole cup of the wrath of God so that he might save you and me. He chose the route of weakness in the eyes of the world and now is crowned king. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus was charged by the Jews with blasphemy for saying that he was the Messiah. He was directly questioned, as we said, by the high priest saying, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said plainly, I am. Jesus was not guilty, of course, of blasphemy because he was who he claimed to be. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is God. Yet it is us that can and should be charged with blasphemy. We set ourselves up as gods. We want to answer only to ourselves. We want to make ourselves and our desires the center of the universe. Jesus was convicted of treason at the hands of the Romans. Under Roman law, this, of course, was punishable by death. They asked him about his claim to be king. They wanted no other king but Caesar. Yet again, he was innocent of this crime. He was not seeking to set up an earthly kingdom, but a spiritual one. He was not seeking to overthrow the Roman government, but to come and, and bring the good news of his kingdom in the hearts of his followers. But Pilate and Herod could not understand that. They just wanted rid of him. They wanted rid of the hassle that he brought. And once again, it's you and me that's guilty of treason. Mankind, apart from God, raise their fists at God and say, I am king. I will have no other rule over me. My will be done. And outside of Christ, we are all guilty of blasphemy and treason. But he was condemned of these things so that we might be pardoned. He was punished so that we could go free. Everything about this account points to the fact that Christ is innocent of these charges. Yet, he proceeds forward to take the punishment that was due to us. It is Jesus who has died. He died for you. He died for sinners. And that's the heart of the gospel message. And that's why this is the pinnacle of the gospel story. That Christ died for you. Christ died for sinners. 
And if you're here this evening and you don't know Christ as your Savior, I invite you to come to this Savior who died for sinners, who gave his life, who stood condemned so that you might go free, so that your guilty record could be washed clean and you could receive instead of God's judgment, you could receive the righteousness of Christ imputed to you and the gift of eternal life. This is the heart of the gospel. In my place, condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Amen. Let's pray.